0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Market Disruptors Show. I am sitting down again with real estate expert, Jason Hartman. Um, We've had uh, some great discussions and I have a lot of questions for him. I'm really looking forward to. Uh, So, Jason, welcome to the show.
1: Hey Mark, uh, thanks. It's good to be back and uh, boy, we've got to talk more often. There is so much going on in the world that I've been, every time, you know, something is going on. I'm thinking. I want to ask Mark, what would he think of this? You know. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah.
0: Th- things are. Uh, there's a quote. I can't remember who says it, but it's something about. Uh, there's decades uh, that seem like they. De- uh, I, I, I'm butchering the quote now, but uh, some there's years go by with nothing, and then sometimes there's days that seem like years or whatever. But anyway, there's so much stuff going on right so, now.
1: You know, another way to say that is in in a time of like pandemic. Uh, COVID-1984 <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and and civil unrest and race riots. You know, it's like a, a, a week is like a year. I mean, it's changing so quickly and there's so much to talk about. Uh, that yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's like dog years, right? That, you know? that's,
0: a be- that's, a, that's a better way to put it. So, um, you're the real estate expert. You're an investing expert. You get the whole big picture, which is why I like talking to you, right? You can't just look at one segment. You have to understand everything. Um, and so you you get that. And there's some questions that I have. And I know my audience has because I've recently done a, a series of, of videos and I've talked about different segments of the market. Um, I've made the case that there's going to be this great migration happening for different reasons. I've made the case that maybe prices are still cheap, but everybody's fixated on one thing. And that is the pandemic. And because 50 million people are out of jobs and maybe a lot of these jobs might not come back. Who knows how long it's going to take, whatever. Because of that, the entire real estate market must crash. People are stuck in that trap. And I don't see it that way. I I believe there's nuance in there, but people have this view where because the pandemic real estate has to crash. What would you say about that?
1: Well, uh, it's a multi-layered discussion. So first of all, Um, You know, when you say people say that, I know some people say that because I get the comments on my YouTube videos, you get on yours, Um, but they're completely wrong. I'm just here to tell you, okay? I mean, business is freaking booming for us. Um, We do not have nearly enough inventory of properties. Uh, My company helps investors buy properties nationwide. And, I mean, inventory is super scarce. Things are going like that now that's what we do. But <laughs> like you were saying, um, in in some segments of the market and in some geographical areas, it is a completely different picture. If we were offering uh, properties in any high density city or, you know, urban area, um, if we were offering expensive properties, I would not be thinking or saying that. Now, Interestingly, though, some of the expensive properties in low-density areas are actually booming because there's still a lot of people in the world with a lot of money, and that money is moving. This is a, a migration of people and money that is happening right now. So whenever a crisis hits, and we are definitely in a crisis, I will be the first to agree Please don't give me any silly comments on this video that, oh gosh, this guy's got rose colored glasses, you know, yeah, no, everything is not okay. It's not okay at all. I mean, we are in a time of crisis. And, um, but in a time of crisis, money moves around. People move move around. The the you know the checkers on the checkerboard move around, and uh, and that's what's happening now. And so uh, that that reallocation is happening. And you know I'll share some math when when I share my screen and show you some of this migration that's going on, and show you some of the um, calculations for the possible migration to come. It's just begun. Right. This is a I mean a dam is breaking, a tsunami is is forming. And uh, if you're an investor, you want to ride this wave and you don't want to be on the wrong side of it to where it breaks on your head uh, because um, that is definitely happening in, in, in some areas.
0: Yeah. Now, um, you, last time we talked, you had brought up a statement which I've echoed and, and I want to just kind of state one more time for everybody that's listening and say that thinks you are painting it with rose-colored glasses is that there is no such thing as the real estate market. Good point. Are thousands of sub-markets broken up by area, by price range, by type, by all different types of things. And finance, markets can be complicated, and there's reasons why people want them to be complicated. But really, everything breaks down to the most simple, which is supply and demand. And everything is always driven by supply and demand. And so uh, because there's this um, massive pandemic and there are 50 million people out of work and there are a lot of jobs that won't come back, there's a lot of things happening. People are going to be working from home. People want to leave certain areas. And, And as you just made the case, people start moving. And it's the moving that creates supply and demand. And so if you can chase those trends, you can find the pockets. I mean, I guess, is that, is that what you're seeing?
1: Yeah, uh, and I mean, better than chasing them even, although you can still make a lot of money chasing them, but it's to do what uh, the great Wayne Gretzky said, and you probably know what I'm gonna say, right? Oh, yeah. I skate to where the puck is going, right? Right. You know, like that's, that's the thing you want to do is skate to where the puck is going. And uh, so it's definitely going to suburban markets, and it's leaving urban markets. And 84% of the population of the United States lives in what the census considers an urban market. Okay. Now, let's Kind of lay a little groundwork if we can, because you alluded to it just a second ago, Mark. Um, you know, I, I've always talked for the last 16, 17 years as I've been educating investors and helping them invest nationwide. I've always talked about three types of markets linear markets, cyclical markets, and hybrid markets. Linear markets are the markets we like and invest in, they're boring markets, uh, they're places like um, you know Memphis, Tennessee; Little Rock, Arkansas; um, some of the Texas cities. There are places like Indianapolis. Um, there's a bunch of them and, you know, they're all on my website at jasonhartman.com. So you can see what linear markets are. Most of the world is a linear market. It's most of the world is a boring real estate market where prices just chug along. They don't go up much, uh, but they don't go down much either in bad times. And these properties have really good cash flow. And I know you you agree with me on this type of investing. Yeah. The problem is the news media doesn't pay attention to these markets. What the news media pays attention to is the cyclical markets, the markets that if you're looking at a graph look like a roller coaster. They have glorious highs and ugly lows. Those are places like the West Coast of the United States, South Florida, just a little bit south of where I live, um, you know, Miami area, Fort Lauderdale, um, the expensive Northeastern markets, New York, Washington, DC, uh, Boston, some of the areas of Connecticut, et cetera. Around the world, there are places like Dubai, Paris, London, Hong Kong, okay? And these markets, I wouldn't touch them with a 10 foot pole, okay? Also, interestingly, the cyclical markets tend to be urban markets that are high density, that are markets that people are fleeing. They have civil unrest, they have uh, a high chance of catching a virus, a place where you can't socially distance, and they're expensive, and most of them are business unfriendly. They're, they have high taxes, they have intrusive governments, um, and you know, I think people have just woken up that these they just don't have that much to offer. You know, I have several friends, as I'm sure you do, Mark, that live in uh, places like New York City. And one of them, for example, just um, left New York City, uh, a 600 square foot apartment that was $3,800 a month and moved to South Carolina. Okay? And, you know, it's like you can, you can trade in your $4,000 a month, 600 square foot apartment for a three bedroom, two bath, two car garage, 1500 square foot home for one third the cost. Yeah. In some of these markets that we're in. It's just a much better deal. And now that everybody's telecommuting and, you know, working on Zoom and stuff, it doesn't matter where you live. It, it right. just it doesn't matter that much. So that's the trend we're definitely seeing.
0: So then, I I think maybe it could be easy for some people to believe there's this migration happening. Um, baby boomers want to leave expensive areas and move to sunbelt states. Uh, yeah. People want to get out of high density areas, go to low tax areas. So maybe and and now Twitter and Facebook say you don't have to work at the office anymore; you can live wherever you want. And Google
1: so, for another year. They just did, that was just out today. Yeah,
0: right. And uh, so so maybe people if maybe people can believe that that great migration is happening. Um, But will the amount of people going out of work um, be too much to offset that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And even let me just broaden your, your thesis a little bit there because it's a great question. And it's one that definitely needs to be answered. Look, there is no doubt the economy is in crisis. The question is, which trend is bigger? Is the trend of the economy being in crisis or the trend of the mass migration of people and money, both of those things, people and money, um, which trend is bigger? Well, I don't know the answer and I've tried to figure it out and it's very hard to figure out, but I don't know if we need to know the answer to that question. All we need to do is play in our little piece of that and we know for sure that there's a migration out of high density areas to low density areas. So people would rather live in Indianapolis, Memphis, Little Rock, Atlanta, Ocala, Florida, that's Florida by the way, Ocala, Jacksonville, um, any of these markets that we sell properties in than they would in New York City, downtown Chicago, and um, that is happening. I don't know about the broader economy. I mean, we are certainly what, in trouble, but
0: I think- what, only- what I would say is that you're, uh, you're right. Uh, you can't look at the broad economy. So all of that selling, that potential selling is going to cause an impact. Yeah. But again, back to supply and demand, when people leave one area, and mass leave a bunch of areas to go to a few a few areas, the supply and demand is going to offset that. And- um, yeah, you have a lot of people losing their jobs, but there's always people going to need the place to live. Yeah. And so there's always gonna be segments of the market. Maybe the McMansions are soft, but maybe the entry level homes are always going to have high demand because someone's always going to be an entry level home. So
1: Absolutely. you have to
0: look at the areas you have to look at the property types you have to really dig into the segments right
1: yes you do you have to you have to peel back the onion people that make these silly generalizations about oh it's a terrible time to buy real estate well you know what they said that in 1978 too would you like to own, have owned some property that you purchased in 1978 or 1988 or 1998 or 2008? You'd be doing great right now, okay? Yeah. Oh, people always say that stuff because they make silly sweeping generalizations. Yeah. Um, Mark, right before we started today, you said something that was very, uh, very important. You talked about how people Don't uh, they don't? You basically were saying that people don't buy a house based on the price, they buy it based on the payment. And because interest rates are so incredibly insanely low, where they're literally paying us to borrow the money after inflation and taxes, you're getting paid to borrow, even if you never rent your house out, okay? Even if it's vacant, you're getting paid to borrow after inflation and taxes, okay? So With that said, we're in an era of truly negative interest rates. You get that debt asset with the house. And if you look at average mortgage payments, or you compare an apples to apples property in terms of what it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and now, yes, the price is higher, I get it, but the payment is lower, okay? So, So real estate for most people has actually gotten cheaper Okay, yep. based on a payment. But interestingly, the rent has continued to go up. Right. Even though the payment got lower for the landlord.
0: So um, I want to dig into that a little bit. But um, just for the listeners um, that, are, that are paying attention, I wanna, I, I really want to talk about this great migration. And as you said, the great uh, Wayne Gretzky says, skate to where the puck is going to be. You told me, don't chase the money, get in front of it. So, so i
1: you can make a lot of money chasing it too. No, but, right. Uh, but the awesome smart money effort. gets in
0: front of it. And so I want you to tell us uh, and maybe show us, you said you have some charts of where, what's happening with this great migration. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah. before we jump into those slides, let's not, let's not jump in that yet. So I want to get into that. I'm just telling the listeners, I want to, mm-hmm. I want to, I want to, I, I want you to show us some slides and show us this great migration so we can understand where the puck is going to be. But before we do that, um, I just wanted to dig into what you said real quick and you said that um, interest rates are so low that we're basically getting paid to borrow. Now interest rates are what two and a half percent or whatever and I understand what you mean but most people probably don't follow that. So if I'm paying two and a half or three percent, what do you mean I'm actually getting paid to borrow?
1: Let's say you're paying even more. Let's take the example, a real world example of one of our clients. Who just purchased a property and closed on it. And I had him, I interviewed him on my podcast and I talked about it. He's got a three and a half percent, three decade long mortgage. So literally, he will not make the last payment on that mortgage, he and his wife, until 2050. (laughs) Okay, like think about that 2050, three decades from now. In three decades, there will be about 90 million more people in the United States. And who thinks with all this money printing and all this quantitative easing that we're gonna have some inflation somewhere in there. Maybe it won't be right away, I get it. You know, I don't know when it'll be, but it's coming eventually. Yeah. It has to come, okay? Like Milton Friedman said, and you know, people disagree with this, but he said, it's a good quote, he said, inflation is everywhere and always a monetary phenomenon. And what that means is that when the printing press runs when there's more supply of money chasing a limited supply of goods and services, prices have to go up. You talk about supply and demand a lot, Mark, and you know you're you're a Bitcoin investor, and you know that's one of the reasons I think you like it, right? Because yeah. it can't be inflated right. like dollar can, right?
0: So to, um, to add to that, um, just real quick, um, the Fed, right? They're printing money, endless money, trillions and trillions of dollars, and they right. said uh, just recently, I think it was a week or two ago, they said, a "quote." they are going to let the inflation run hot. Yeah. So what happens is typically as they're starting to get close to their 2% target, they start to taper down to slow it down. They said they're going to run it hot. Let it just run, pat- which means they're going to, overshoot that two, And, and as you said, what Milton Friedman said, it's a phenomenon that I don't believe can be controlled. So if they're going to let it run hot past 2%, it's going to overshoot to 10% or something, who knows, right? So um, anyway, but go ahead and finish back with your example. So he pays paying three and a half percent, but because inflation will end up running as high as two and a half or three percent, well, the goal is 2%. um, Somehow that means that he's getting paid to borrow
1: yeah, so um, just one comment before that on on your inflation comment. You know, um, on shadowstats.com, which I'm, we haven't talked about, it, but I'm sure that's a website you've referenced before. Of course. Um, John Williams, the founder, was on my show before, and uh, he has a real inflation calculator on shadow stats, and people should go check that out, and you will just see how inflation is much
0: higher than we're being told. Sure, 5 or 6% at least.
1: Yeah, yeah. But but that said, you know, the the Fed and the government clearly state that their goal is to have 2% inflation, okay? So, let's just take them at their word and say it's 2% for this example, okay? Mortgage interest is tax deductible, okay? So, if you are paying 3%, or sorry, 3.5% on the mortgage, depending on your tax bracket, you know, state and federal tax combined, you're going to have about 1.5% of that be deductible, okay? I'm assuming there's no income against it. The house is vacant. You never rent it to anybody, which is terrible. Of course, you're going to rent it, okay? But let's say you don't, okay? So, uh, and if you have 2% inflation and 1.5% tax deduction, okay, then you're getting the money for free if you're paying 3.5%, period. It's free money, even if you never, ever rent the house out. Now, if you rent the house out, you have got uh, the reason we love real estate investing is because we have what we call self-liquidating debt, okay? Look, at I love debt when I don't have to pay it. When I can outsource the repayment obligation yeah. to someone called a tenant, debt is awesome. Otherwise, I don't like debt at all. I mean, uh, the only supposed debt I have is my car lease, And I do think the car lease is actually a decent deal. So I usually lease my cars, not always, sometimes I just buy them, but um, uh, sometimes I lease them. So my current car is on a lease and the rate is super cheap, okay? So uh, I think that's a good deal to lease the car. Um, But uh, the only debt I have is mortgage debt, that's it. Uh, Other debts are too expensive and they're not self liquidating. They require me to pay it. Now, if you think back to all these famous corporate raiders Ivan Boski, okay, T. Boone Pickens, who, you know, passed away recently, um, Carl Icahn, you know, all these names we've all heard about, right? Yep. What they are uh, sometimes famous for is what's called an LBO, a leveraged buyout. And that leveraged buyout basically is the technique where they will acquire a company and then the way they pay for the, they lever it up with debt. They put a lot of debt on the company, but the way they pay the debt back is through the company's own revenue that it generates. Right. So it's a self-liquidating debt. It's like, it's like, you know, buying a cow and then paying for the cow with the milk, the cow produces, yep. right? You don't pay for it yourself.
0: It's or only, a, only half the milk it produces. <laughs>
1: right? Yeah. That's even better. That means yeah. that's called positive cash flow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Um yeah that's that's a great example. So yeah I mean there's there's all these things that are happening. Um there's one more thing that I want to throw out there before we jump into telling you, you telling us where um people are moving where the puck's going to be. But the other thing that I think people need to keep in mind is that the future is uncertain. We have no idea what's going to happen. Right. Um I think we we have probabilities. We deal with probabilities, right? We don't we don't we don't make predictions, we deal with probabilities. The probability of inflation is extremely high. I mean they're printing trillions of dollars. They're probably going to print another 10 or trillion before it's over. So the, the probability of inflation is really high. But there's another probability that people are, are completely dismissing. And they're automatically assuming that foreclosures are going to rock the entire economy. But there's no reason to really believe that. Because in 2008, the government held off foreclosures for four years. Yeah. And we're already seeing... Already we've seen uh, rent forgiveness, mortgage forgiveness, rent, uh, eviction um, forbearance, Fort-torn. rent for, payment forbearance. So we've already seen it just in the beginning. Imagine how much more the government could do to just forgive payments or hold, hold foreclosures or whatever. They've already done it before. Why wouldn't they do it again?
1: Absolutely. You're absolutely right. Look at the, the government, um, no government and no central bank wants uh, a bad economy. That's a bad deal for them. One thing we know for sure that they want is inflation because inflation makes it cheaper for them to pay their debts off. Mm -hmm. And the U.S. is in a very enviable position having the world's reserve currency. People like Peter Schiff saying, you know, the U.S. is gonna lose its reserve currency status. You know, he'll probably be right long after he's gone, okay? I mean, yes, someday. That may happen, sure. But the the reality is, at the end of the day, the country that's going to control the reserve currency of the world is the country with the most aircraft carriers, and that's the United States. Okay. Um, I mean, the ability to wage war and you know, keep U.S. interests are, that's going to win the day. It always does. It always boils down to the military at the end of the day.
0: Well, that's Um, a whole separate conversation that we could definitely discuss because I don't know if we see that eye to eye, but um, that's okay. But either way, we agree that the government doesn't want these foreclosures. They've They've held them off before. They can definitely hold them off again, and yeah. so a lot of people don't see that. I think as
1: well, right? you're right. They're going to have they're going to have every which bailout, every uh, program, every loan modification. You know, they'll they'll do another TARP program, the Troubled Asset Relief Program type thing, and they'll they'll push the banks to do loan modifications. They'll push the banks to do short sales and workouts and whatever they need to do. Look, there there will be. Certainly, an increase in foreclosures, but will it be in these little inexpensive bread and butter rental properties? I doubt it.
0: I think, I, and, I, and I think I, I'm, I'm I did a video about this, and I'm continuing to uh, grow in my chances of probability of this happening. And a lot of big name people, Porter Stansberry and others, are also saying the same thing. And there's a real chance we see a debt jubilee.
1: Yeah, and that's we can see me.
0: massive debt forgiveness happening. Uh, that's not off the table by any means. So, anyway, just keep that in mind. Uh, but let's uh, let's talk about um, that. That aside, right? Supply and demand. People yeah. are bailing out of a lot of areas, creating too much supply, and they're going to other areas that are creating uh, too much demand. Yeah. And you think you have some insight, or, or I shouldn't say you think you do. You have some insight. You had some charts. Uh, why, why don't you fill us in on that?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'll share my screen with you. But one comment about the, uh, the Stansberry comment, you know, in his, his most recent book, it's about the debt jubilee. And um, remember something, the, 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 the whole thing, it's always unequal. Everything is unequal. This pandemic is making a very uneven thing. Some people are getting rich um, and some people are getting poorer and it's really sad. It's always unequal. But if there's a debt jubilee, guess who benefits the most? The people who have the most debt. Yep. So, and and how do you get the highest quality, best debt in the highest quantity? For most people, not not a corporate raider like Ivan Bosky or whatever, right? Um, you just buy properties because. Real estate is the most debt-friendly asset class in the United States. It's the most tax-favored asset class in the United States. And I think it's the most historically proven asset class in the entire world. Um, so um, I'll, I'll just share a couple of the migration trends I see, uh, like Mark asked me to. And um, whoops, uh, wrong screen. Yeah, that's a
0: great point about the um, about the debt, you know. Um, the one thing that I think everybody can easily see and agree to is that there's a a real probability of having like a, a student loan debt forgiven. Oh yeah. And yeah. Uh, you know, I just think how unfair is that? Because how many people didn't take on debt? Yeah, did it the right way. Good. Well, it's not fair to them. Now your yeah. debt's going to be forgiven, and and then okay, well, I didn't go to college, and now I've had to work a low paying job. Should yeah. you re should you pay me the difference of what I would have made if I would have gone to like? Uh, it's unfair, but but it well, is what it is. And those who yeah. have the college debt are probably going to get it forgiven. And so the same mm-hmm. is true. Those who have mortgage debt, maybe we'll get it forgiven.
1: I know. That's why it's uneven. So right. if you want to if you want to get the benefit of the coming debt jubilee, if you believe there's going to be one, then you should stock up on ec- exceptionally low cost, high quality investment grade debt that's attached to good income properties. That's the way to do that. So yeah, it's totally unfair. You you know, if there's a a student loan forgiveness and you don't have a student loan, what are you going to get out of it? Nothing, right? Nothing. So anyway, you can see my screen, right? I do. Okay, good. So here we've got a tidal wave, a tsunami, and that's what's happening. So I think there are six megatrends, Mark, that are uh, really adding to this uh, uh, that are going to be very, oh my gosh, what's wrong with this? This is so frustrating. I'm sorry. Here, just a moment.
0: No problem. We can just edit this out. Yeah.
1: <laughs> just to, you know, I it, what what happened is as soon as I shared the screen, it clicked off and I couldn't see you anymore. So let me just
0: yeah, don't worry. We'll edit it out. Yeah.
1: Okay. Okay, I'm uh, okay I may not be able to see you okay so I'll just talk through this and and I got I gotta wrap it up in 10 minutes for sure yeah okay, that's so.
0: why I've been trying to kind of rush through it
1: yeah no no problem at all okay okay so here we go oh wait okay so. You can see my screen now. I do, yep. Okay, so here are the six mega trends. okay? And one of them is roommates, okay? And this is one that really nobody's talking about. Yeah. But about 30 plus percent of the United States uh, housing market is roommates. It's, it's uh, people cohabitating in non-romantic relationships, okay? And uh, most of these roommates are in urban areas that have expensive real estate. These also happen to be, as I talked about earlier, these are mostly cyclical markets, okay? So think about this conversation, Mark. I mean, we can all, you know, maybe we've all had a roommate at some time. And, you know, you've got a couple of young professionals living together. They've got a two-bedroom house, and now they're working at home they used to never see each other except right. to come home to sleep and say hi or bye in the morning or evening, right? And they'd, they'd go to work all day, they'd come home, they'd run out and they'd socialize if they're maybe single. Uh, they'd do that or they'd go to the gym and, um, and and they hardly ever saw each other. But now they're both at home and they're both working at home. And one says to the other, hey, you know, uh, now that I'm working at home, I really need that bedroom as a home office, And then the other one says, you know, I was thinking the same thing. Uh, So they split up. Okay. That's 30% of the housing market that has literally doubled the demand. Wow, That's a 100% increase in housing demand. It's from two or it's from one to two. Okay. No. The same is true of the possibility. Okay. And this is a little sad of a divorce boom. Okay. I'm, I'm not going to be able to go through all this in the interest of time, but some have talked about the COVID baby boom. If that's happening, then it, you know, because people are together all, you know, with cabin fever, right? So they're going to do what comes naturally. So if the COVID baby boom is happening, then that increases demand for housing. If the if the COVID, COVID divorce boom is happening, then that increases demand for housing too. And by the way, this is not a theory, because it actually is happening in Wuhan,
0: China. Okay? Well, and we know the number one reason for divorce is fi- is finances. So uh, people <laughs> lost their job, they get uh, stressed out, and it's gonna lead to divorce, we know that.
1: And if they're on top of each other all day long, <laughs> they can't get an escape. Yeah. Uh, that might even make it worse. So, so there's lots of articles about the baby boom, the divorce boom uh, due to these lockdowns, okay? Um, it, we should realize that 84% of the United States lives in what is considered to be an urban area. Okay. And that is a population of only 283 people per square mile. Whereas in New York City, just as a comparison, it's like 28,000 people per square mile. Wow. Okay. So just think about the density. The two biggest danger zones are elevators and mass transit. Impossible to socially distance in those places. Mm-hmm. So I see this mass migration from high density. To low density suburban living. Okay. And, you know, there's a lot of other data here. I'm just going to pass this, but these are the types of markets. These are linear markets. This is from our website, uh, and these are markets that we're in. Okay. Um, So look at the increase in the number of households. 1960 to 2019. And it just shows you how big this market is. Let's look at the urban dwellers. Okay. This is 268 million people. Okay. And by the way, this is back of the napkin math. So that's why the screen is literally a napkin. Okay? <laughs> it's This is by no means meant to be completely scientific. It's rough math. Okay? okay. So please don't write me comments down below. Oh, this math is not accurate. It's it's a concept, okay? Uh, so anyway, um, you these people cannot socially distance. Let's say only 15% of them decide that they want to move to a safer environment. And by the way, I put all this here before there was any civil unrest. This was just lockdown oriented, socially distancing oriented. Now, these same places have riots in the streets, many of them, okay? Yep. Most of them, actually. Uh, so um, if you have this fifteen percent, okay, these forty million people, okay, um, that's twenty million suburban units needed, okay, and if you spread that out, okay, into uh, oh, what did I do? as uh, another calculation. Hang on, there's another napkin coming, okay. Um, so let me just tell you about apartments for a moment, okay. Um, there are three classifications of apartments. Okay, there's low-rise or garden-style apartments, yep. there, and those are up to four stories. There's mid-rise, which is five to 12 stories, and then there's high-rise, which is 12 stories and above, okay? So anytime you're really over three, four stories, people are using an elevator, okay? And um, for mid-rise and high-rise, this is just rental units. It doesn't include condos, Okay there, if you combine those two, there are about 2.3 million of those in the United States. Okay. So if we only count 15% of those as potential movers, only 15%, and I say the number is going to be a lot higher than that, but let's just be conservative. Right. That's 340,000 homes needed. If you divide that into 50 suburban markets, that's basically 7,000 additional homes needed in each of those suburban markets where long before anyone ever heard the word Cervasus sickness, as our friend likes to say, okay, Um, there was a housing shortage in all these markets already, okay? So that 7,000 is a big number. And remember, this is only renters. It doesn't include condos, okay? This is only rental units. Um, combine that with a few other trends. And by the way, that's from Yardi Matrix. Look at what happened as the pandemic broke. This is the Google search term, work from home. Look at how it skyrocketed. Wow. Right as as the people started socially distancing, okay? Carl Icahn, big corporate raider I talked about, shorting commercial real estate. Um, And there's the remote workers, demand for office space has totally fallen off a cliff. Uh, here's the roommate discussion again. there's then the family discussion, okay Think of your typical family of four two adults, two kids. Now both adults are working at home and the kids are home from school because school's been canceled yep so the kids have got to study from home. If they lived in a in a in a two or three bedroom house before, think of it they need several extra bedrooms now, assuming they don't even have a room for a home gym or anything else, right? Right. So, there's a lot of additional demand for typical suburban housing. The gyms have closed and, you know, it's not just remote work, but I say it's remote working out. This is a serious deal. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, millions and millions of people go to gyms as a normal course of their life and they, they basically can't do it anymore. So, a lot of trends there. Um, and the last one I'll say is multi-generational living. Okay. there in the U.S. There are 28 million people over 70 years old. This is the graying of America trend that has been talked about for decades. Yep. And um, those people, it's not safe to have them in a nursing home anymore or an assisted living facility. Yep. And so, uh, they they're going to be living at home more and more often in the same housing unit or near to their children. This is the sandwich generation where, you know, the, the person who's in the middle age of their life has children of their own plus but does that
0: to, does that compress the housing instead of expanding it? So for example, that older person who would typically move out of that house and uh, go to an assisted living home, now they're staying in their home and now maybe the family is moving in with them. So maybe they're compressing their homes instead of expanding?
1: They might be. that That's certainly possible. But most of the time, neither party has a house that's big enough for everybody. Right. And look, at, this is not... A common thing in the United States, but it's totally common around the world. Sure, go to Europe and Asia, South America. People live with their parents. This is not unusual at all. Okay, it's just the U.S. that's you know been so prosperous for so long that people haven't had to do multi generational living here. But the you know this I think this trend adds to demand for larger suburban homes. Okay. And it moves people out of the cities even more so. Okay. So that pretty much wraps up most of the trends. I know there's a lot more to it. I haven't had time to discuss, but I just thought I'd touch on it.
0: Yeah. And we could keep digging in and digging in, but I know your time is short and I appreciate everything that you've been able to give to us so far. Um, So, you know, we can could, we could keep digging in. We'll have to have another conversation about it. Of course, if anybody likes these topics and wants to know more, they should go follow uh, Jason. I think your YouTube channel is Jason Hartman. What's the best way for people um, to follow you?
1: Yeah, you can, uh, my YouTube channel, it's nothing compared to yours, but I'm, I'm trying to catch up to you. <laughs> I'm chasing your success. And, uh, and so I'm on YouTube, just look up Jason Hartman and you'll find it. And, uh, and then I've got a podcast called The Creating Wealth Show that is very popular. That's one of the oldest uh, real estate investing podcasts. I've uh, been running that for about 15 years now and uh, my website, jasonhartman.com.
0: Yeah, cool. Well, um, so much good information. I hope that everybody realizes that this is a much bigger thing than what you maybe kind of just focus on. And that that's really the point. Um, and you need to learn to look at things uh, from a bunch of different angles. So hopefully that makes sense. And that's it. That's what we got for you guys today. So right. to your success. Hey, thanks
1: so much. Happy investing everybody and uh, be safe and stay well. Thanks, Mark.